living as bodhisattva. In the beginning of the Diamond Sutra, Shakyamuni Buddha's disciple, Sabuti, is very surprised by the wonderful experience of basking in Buddhist compassion. But Subti, Sabuti knows that he shouldn't be dumbfounded by knowing real reality and realizing that he is one being co-produced by the interpretation of all beings. Well, wait, wait, interpenetration. Oh, inter, yeah, interpenetration of all beings. I was reading too fast. Okay. Let's look, let's look that up too. See if we get any kind of definition. Mix or merge together. The two concepts interpenetrate in interesting ways. <laughs> Fibers of meaning interpenetrates every strand of sound. That's nice. Okay. Once he has Buddhist faith, having faith is not good enough. He needs to know how to live in the human world based on faith. That's, uh, I have this Torah study every Monday, and we just came across this line <coughs> that the two things you need to do, one is to revere God, and the second is to follow the commandments, which is really the same thing. Hmm. living you know follow the commandments is to live in the human world because all the commandments or most of them have to do with relationships relating to people and then but faith is not you know either one by itself is not enough hmm. Isn't that nice yeah that's pretty cool <coughs> hmm okay yeah I'm, i think i'm the next one so after expressing admiration and appreciation to the buddha for this for his great help and support subhati immediately asks asks him a question how should the bodhisattva stand who has set out in the vehicle of a bodhisattva setting out in the bodhisattva vehicle means bodhicitta, Buddhist faith. Faith is realizing that you are alive in the universal path and your life is supported by all beings. So Subodhi is asking, now that I have a that now that I have faith, how should I act? What attitude should I take mentally, physically, and psychologically? In other words, what should I do? How do we stand up straight and abide in daily living as bodhisattvas? The bodhisattva way is just to help all beings with compassionate attention. So Buddha answered Subhuti's question in this way. Subhuti, someone who has set out in the vehicle of a bodhisattva should produce a thought in this manner. As many beings as there are in the universe of beings, comprehended under the term beings, egg-born, 
born from a womb, moisture born or miraculously born, with or without form, with perception, without perception, and with neither perception nor non-perception, as far as any conceivable form of beings is conceived. All of this I must lead to nirvana, into that realm of nirvana which leaves nothing behind. And yet, although innumerable have thus been led to nirvana, no being at all has been led to nirvana. And why? If in a bodhisattva, the notion of a being should take place, he could not be called a bodhi being. And why? He is not to be called a bodhi being in whom the notion of a self or of a being should take place or the notion of a living soul or of a person. Uh, maybe I'm next. In this translation by Edward Kanzi, Shakyamuni describes all beings as egg-born, born from womb, moisture-born, or miraculously born, and also as being without any form, and also as beings without any form. <coughs> we don't know what these beings are exactly. Still, Buddha says that anything you can conceive of is a being. Anything you can, you can conceive of is a, is a being you can help. So take care of not only your friends, not only your family, not only Americans, not only Japanese, but everything, trees, birds, all beings, whatever they are. In the history of Buddhist teaching, there are three categories of bodhisattva. Travaka Buddha, Pratika Buddha, and the real bodhisattva. How do you pronounce that? Bodhisattva. 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 I always say bodhisattva. Bodhisattva. But I don't know where you get the, the okay. D. In Shakyamuni's time, many monks attained enlightenment by listening to the teaching. Those monks were called Stravaka. As Stravaka analyzes the structure of human life as a philosophy or psychology based on Buddha's teaching of the Four Noble Truths, suffering, the cause of suffering, freedom, freedom from suffering and the path of to Nirvana. Today, we are also very interested in understanding human life in this way. So I think all of us are more or less Stravaka Buddhas. Cody, you're uh, muted. A Pratika Buddha is sort of the opposite of Shravaka. If you understand the structure of human life based on the Four Noble Truths, what basic principle can you discover that that is interdependence and conditioned co-origination? 
a particular Buddha attains enlightenment through personally realizing the in, interpenetration of all beings. That realization implies a deeper understanding of the human world. It is, un, it is an understanding of Buddhist philosophy that comes alive in one's daily living. So is a, is a Sravaka Buddha like a ideas kind of Buddha and a Pratika is more a um, action experience kind of Buddha? Would that be incorrect or correct? Or? I didn't get it. You want to read this paragraph again? Yeah, yeah, Ken. So one listens to the <coughs> to the monks to the, right to to Buddha's teachings. I think it is um, a little behind. It says, uh, Pratika Buddha attains enlightenment through personally realizing the interpretation of all beings. So they experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that yeah I think that makes sense that one one is uh, kind of more discursive thinking about it and the other is more doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So who's reading now, Daniel? Uh, yes. Let's see. Um, uh, which paragraph now? It's a, a pratika Buddha. No, the bottom uh, one, uh, the last one. The last one, okay. The last one, a real bodhisattva, is a person whose way of life is based on emancipa Emancip emancipation. Good, yeah. Uh, Which is free are, freedom. Freedom, okay. Uh, okay. The last one, a real bodhisattva, is a person whose way of life is based on emancipation. There are three gates of emancipation, emptiness, no form, and no desire. Emptiness is the pure texture of being. You are pure and free. There is nothing to be contaminated by anything. Um, no form means oneness, no form of subject and no form of object. The Buddha said that when bodhisattvas help, they leave no trace of helping. So when you help, don't have any notion of being someone who is helping others or any notion of there being another person who is receiving your help. 
At that time, you can be exactly one with the other person. This perfect harmony of self and other is called oneness. It means, for example, that as a teacher, I cannot take care of myself only as a separate form of being called Katagiri. <laughs> for the good of my students, I also have to take care of my interconnected life. So I have to take care of category as category and also as no category. When I am no category, there is a sense I am a teacher. I am helping you. There is no sense of I am a teacher. I am helping you. Or, <coughs> or you are my student. You are helping me. So there's no distinction between you and the other. We're not separate. It's the way I get this. No desire means nothing is outside oneness. No desire means nothing is outside oneness. So there is nothing separate to be desired. When the time comes to help, you just help from the pure state of oneness with no desire to give benefit or gain a reward. At that time, a person appears who is called a real bodhisattva. Generally speaking, a way of life based on emancipation means that if you understand something, you don't stay with your own idea. If you want to cry, cry. If you suffer from your life, suffer. There's no way to escape suffering from suffering. But don't be obsessed with crying and suffering. You can take advantage of the suffering you have experienced and use it for the good of others. In other words, helping others who are crying and suffering can be back with your own crying and suffering. If you want to enjoy, enjoy. But don't be obsessed with having pleasure. Not to be obsessed means not to linger. Whether it is crying, suffering, or, or pleasure, don't linger over anything. If you experience what you are, don't stay with it. Don't stay with what you are. What you are is what you will be in the next moment. In a moment, what you are is no longer what you were. So you cannot stay stuck in the past. If you stay with what you were, that is ego. The Bodhisattva way is to just constantly stand up in the vastness of existence, let go of ego and help all beings as best you can. There are three categories of Bodhisattva, but there is no rank or hierarchy among them because each one contains the other two. The three are interconnected as just one. As bodhisattvas, we can depend on the fact that we are always basking in the great help of Buddha. So trust in the huge tree of Buddha's compassion. This way of life very naturally extends into realization of the vastness of Buddha's world, bodhicitta. That is Buddhist faith.
Uh, Emily. Oh, and then Kim. Directing your boat. Life is like a man riding in a boat. Aboard the boat, he uses a sail. He uses a tiller. He, boat, he pulls the boat along, yet the boat carries him. And without the boat, <coughs> he is not there. By riding in the boat, he makes it a boat. This is Dogen Genji's statement in Shobogenzo Zenki, Total Dynamic Working, translated by Norman Waddell and Masio Abe. Can I read again the part that is in apostrophes, or how do you say it? Well, I will read it again. Okay. It says, life is like a man, a man riding in a boat. Abroad the boat, he uses a sail. He takes the tiller, tiller he, he pulls the boat along. Yet the boat carries him, and without the boat, he is not there. By riding in the boat, he makes it a boat. Okay. Uh, here's an example. Um, let's see. If you pick up a stick, this is maybe a little sadistic or something, but you pick up a stick and hit someone, you've made the stick into a club. So what makes the boat a boat is you're using it as a boat. What makes an apple food is you use it, you're eating it. Besides that, before that, it's just a piece of fruit, right? Or it's just uh, whatever it is. But now it's food because you're eating it. There's probably better examples. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I heard similar examples that other people make you who you are also. Oh, that's nice. I'll be right back. I'm gonna get a cough drop. Hmm. I think it's kind of an idea of everything is interconnected. Yeah, and you're like dependent on the environment. And by interacting in the environment, uh, you make it something that you're you're interacting together. You're not separate, but you're together. what you guys were saying. So, so it's also about emptiness that the boat is empty of boatness. What makes it a boat is the fact that when it starts carrying people, mm -hmm. there's nothing boat, there's no boat. If you tore the boat apart, you know, fiber by fiber, you'd never get to 
<coughs> boat essence. Right. Okay. I'm good. A Dogan's boat is the great vehicle of Mahayana, the Buddha way. The Buddha way. The Buddha way is the place where you already are. You are on that boat. You are one with that this boat, the water, the sky, the shore, and the other shore. All sentient beings coexist with you on the boat. All are embraced by Buddha's compassion, which is constantly supporting and carrying you. The lively energy of life carries you and lets you be free but you still have to do something. Life requires you to act. We must constantly live by taking the initiative to make the vastness of existence come alive in our own lives. This is not so easy. If you believe that your life on the boat can be completely controlled by your own individual effort you may become arrogant or egoistical, always rushing and feeling irritated. Or if you face failure, you may fall into des despair and want to give up. So don't forget the original place where you are. The original place you are where you are. Um, when you remember the place you already are, then you are free to burn the flame of your life force in whatever you do. You can use your energy to build up your life for the benefit of yourself and others. That is to direct the boat in the proper way. It's not so easy, but this is the Bodhisattva way of life. Moving in the right direction. There is a Zen koan about a water buffalo. Master Gishan Lingu said, when I die, I will be reborn as a cow in the village. In a hundred years, you will find the cow with the name Gishan written under his, its left arm. What do you call this cow? Is this just a cow? If you say so, it's wrong. On the other hand, if after discovering my name on the cow, you say this is not a cow, this is Gishan, that this answer is also wrong. So how do you call this cow? Dogen Sunji com commented on this koan, saying, please allow this cow to be in the big pasture and guide this cow to move toward the right direction. Dogen's pasture is the vast place where all sentient beings, grass, air, moisture, all things visible and invisible exist simultaneously in peace and harmony. We are living in the huge pasture, so we shouldn't try to understand human life in a narrow way. Mm -hmm. That is a good um, sentence. I really like that sentence. Can you say more? What do you uh, like about like, it? 
very accessible to me. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's a good reminder of not to forget to, uh, it's so easy for me to lose perspective day to day, uh, especially when I'm fooled by emotions. So uh, to keep perspective of the bigger picture is, is very important. And, and we linger in emotions, don't we? Mm. Yeah. You know, like it's okay to have them and then the, but we don't have to hold on forever. Right. Like, he, is it who's reading? It's on me. Okay. Like Gisha and Kyle, we have two different ways of living. Our ordinary lives are always filled with problems, desires, and delusions. If we only see, if we see only ordinary life, we may think it is natural for human beings to live just according to trying to satisfy our desires because this is our instinct. I'll read another one. But that way of living doesn't really satisfy us because we also think that life shouldn't be so miserable. So we seek to be free from ordinary life and live in a better way. This is our bodhisattva life. But when problems come up, we forget that better way and go back to our ordinary way. We are always zigzagging, always attaching to one side or the other. You are an ordinary human being covered with messy karmic life, but there is always an opportunity to be something more than that. There is always an opportunity to do something good for you, for others, for all sentient beings. That's why we study and try to understand human life. The problem is our understanding is very under Undependable. Undependable. Oh, undependable. Because everything is always changing. So the important question is, how do we give life to our undependable understanding? Bodhisattva. I have a question. Um, what is uh, karmic life? Well, kar karma, the best definition I've heard is, is volitional action. So karmic life is just uh, the life that acquires karma. Just moving through life and it's messy in that, it, in that all this stuff is, um, we talk about a karmic storehouse. Uh, also, uh, we there's this line we we say um all my ancient twisted karma so so this stuff comes from the past you're not just when you're born you're not you're it's not you're not born like a new thing so i think that's messy too but What's different in Buddhism and Hinduism is that in Buddhism, you're not stuck. 
with this karma. You have um, the ability to, it doesn't determine, you know about determinism. It doesn't determine what you're going to be. You have more options. Oh, I didn't know that. That difference? Yeah. That's good to know. Thank you. We should ask Trouty more about that. Um, she wasn't able to come tonight, but hopefully next week. Okay. Am I reading next? Did we, did we finish that? I think we finished that paragraph, didn't we? Who read, Emily? I think it was Daniel. Yeah, okay. I finished. Um, bodhisattvas just constantly aim in a certain direction. Even though their understanding is undependable, they try to use their human lives not only for the sake of their own life, but also for the sake of others' lives making every possible effort to give birth to the Buddha Dharma. So a Bodhisattva is more in Mayana Buddhism, and it's one who, rather than like after being enlightened, one who, who holds back and stays on earth to save all beings and says, I'm not going to go and not be reborn uh until everyone is saved so it's kind of this endless job kind of it is an endless job okay bodhisattvas don't know exactly what they're giving birth to so there's some anxiety some uneasy feeling there still all they can do is aim their life at the target of giving birth to eternal life using their karmic life and then move in that direction. This is difficult, but this is a bodhisattva's life. This is their suffering. However, right in the middle of suffering, the flame of their life begins to burn and they find their life worth living. It is like parents who suffer because of their children but feel their life's worth living right in the process of being with their children. A life worth living doesn't come from conceptual understanding. It is not found by molding your life according to getting a reward from a particular activity. To move in a body's sattva direction is to allow your life to proceed toward a great image of life without having any expectation from it. If you expect something even slightly, you cannot move, you cannot direct your life toward your great target. That's a nice one. Like okay, go on. Your great image of life is just an image. The perfect direction is a direction you can never reach. Even so, having an image to aim is important. Aim at is important. It gives you a great suggestion of how to live every day. So try to make that image come alive day to day. How? 
direct your boat. Whatever you understand about your human life, just direct your life towards your target every day. Constantly thinking how, how to actualize the Bodhisattva vow to live in peace and harmony with all sentient beings. You have both an ordinary life and a bodhisattva life. They work together in a compound state of living, like a single piece of paper. You cannot take just one side and throw the other one away. You have to accept both. But after accepting both, you can make a determination to go in a certain direction. If you can see even a dim vision of the original nature of your life, then that image is your great target to aim at. Using your body and mind, you can deepen your life. Finally, you can express your bodhisattva life in the realm of your ordinary life. Even if your cow is going zigzag, please gently guide this cow toward the right direction. How? It really depends upon your refined action right now, right here. Just proceed. Under all circumstances, without expecting anything to happen as a particular result of your effort. When you move toward your great image of life without expecting anything, very naturally, you can open your heart and share your life with all sentient beings. Then, right in the process of sharing your life, you find that your, worth, your life is worth living. Wisdom and compassion is love. Simply speaking, Buddha's teaching consists of two points, wisdom and compassion. Wisdom is a deep understanding of impermanence. Life is coming and going from moment to moment. Compassion is a deep understanding of interdependent co-origination. Co All lives are interconnected. Broadly speaking, according to the teaching of compassion, your life is forgiven. But even so, according to the teachings of wisdom, your life can never be forgiven. I didn't get that lesson. <laughs> Me neither. That's a, that's a difficult one. Well, there's a real important principle in Buddhism is this idea of not one, not two, that things aren't either this or that, that they're both. But go on, Emily, were you going to say something? Maybe it speaks to the, that nothing is finite, not everything is impermanent, and to be forgiven is almost like something that's permanent. Like it doesn't change. 
but wisdom teaches that things do change. Actually, when a friend um, does something mean to you, you can forgive them, but still something sticks, doesn't it? So in that sense, it, it's, it's not complete. You look at them with one in one way and, oh, I forgive you, but there's always that, that residue that you don't, I think. I mean, that's been my experience. You guys experience it like that? Are yeah, you able? That's a line in a movie. Uh, I forgive you, but that doesn't mean I forget. <laughs> Wait, you froze, Emily. Oh, um, it's a, there's a good movie out there. It's, um, there's a line where this woman says, I forgive you for stealing my husband, but that doesn't mean I'll forget about it. Okay. But who's forgive, who, who's the forgiver here? The Bodhisattva. Uh, uh, that's a good question. Broadly speaking, according to the teaching of compassion, your life is forgiven. But even so, according to the teaching of wisdom, your life can never be forgiven. Could it be because there's nothing to forgive? Is it like a, that you go for confession in a way? To... Well, that's very clean, isn't it? You go to confession and you are told to say something or do something and then you're forgiven. Um, I don't know. Let's read the next uh, thing. Maybe it will explain more. Okay. When I was a young monk living in a small temple in Japan with my teacher, Daiko Hayashi Roji, I made lots of mistakes and many things happened. When I went down to the village, people often criticized me or bark, barked at me. So my everyday life was pretty entangled, pretty confused. When you, were, when you are very confused, even some small criticism really bothers you. My life was a little bit of a mess, so hatred and many other emotions were always coming up. But the moment I went back to the temple, I felt relief because Hayashi Roshi always embraced me under all circumstances. Whatever happened in my life, he was always going very smoothly, smoothly, smoothly with me, like a stream of water. His presence of heart was very wonderful for me. My teacher didn't try to explain compassion to me, but through his everyday life, I could taste how compassionate his mind was. Compassion shows us the eternal realm of life, where your life and others' lives are totally accepted. In terms of compassion, you can accept your life and take care of your life as totally forgiven. But in terms of wisdom, life is going from moment to moment without stopping. That is the ser very serious realm of life. 
this moment will never come again. Your actions now will stay with, with human life forever. There are no excuses. My teacher also showed me this. When I didn't get up in the morning, he said very gently, when the morning comes, you should get up. When people have breakfast, you should have breakfast. After that, if you don't feel good, go to bed. This was a very good suggestion for me. Get up. No excuse. Your, your human life should fit into the rhythm of life. When morning comes, make morning alive as morning and get up. That's it. Accept full responsibility for this very moment and take best care of your life right now. When you practice wisdom and compassion like this, Dharma comes into your life very naturally and your life manifests itself as Dharma. That is the manifestation of your total personality. Your life penetrates into the entire world, includes all beings, and your personality becomes whole. You can do this. My teacher did it. My teacher always showed me this, but I was young. I didn't have eyes to see it or ears to listen to it. So I always felt confused and I always complained. But on the other hand, I felt relief when I came back to the temple. I could take a deep breath from my teacher's total personality. It's nice to have a place where you go back to and you're accepted kind of as you are, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So what can you say about your life? Are you forgiven or not forgiven? You cannot say only one way. You have to practice Dharma from day to day <coughs> and get a taste of it. In other words, your understanding must go very deep to see the bottom of human life. That is wisdom. Then, from seeing the depth of human life, wisdom brings forth compassion for all sentient beings, that is to love all beings. In Buddhism, wisdom and compassion is a term for love, but that love is not the usual sense of love. By wisdom and compassion, you can communicate with others. You can accept others or you can go forgive others. That is love. Love is a very serious and also the very soft basis of human existence from which you can take a deep breath. Breathing, like the winds blow, breathing. Mm -hmm. Breathing naturally on grass in the field. The sadness and compassion. Let's see how long. Let's see how long this section is. Well, what happens when we get? What's that line for? 
Do you just want to read to the line or you want to stop here? What time is it? What? Oh, let's read to the line. Okay. Go on. In ancient, India, in ancient India, they used the term Buddha, meaning awakened one. The term appears in Jainism, Brahmanism, and in myths and poems such as the Rig Veda and the Bhagavad Gita. But the concept of Buddha created by Buddhism was a little different from other Indian schools and philosophies. According to early Buddhist teaching, a Buddha is an awakened one whose human life has particular characteristics. There are 18 marks of a Buddha's life, 10 powers, fourfold fearlessness, threefold dwelling in mindfulness and compassion. The 10 powers describe a Buddha's total personality. He or she has great eyes to see and great ears to hear the voices of the past, present, and future. This power penetrates not only into all time, but also into every inch of space. So a Buddha's life is expanding everywhere. It is not mysterious. Everyone can have this. Such eyes and ears are nurtured very naturally by your practice and study. Fearlessness is re feeling relief. When I lived with my teacher, I learned about fearlessness because I felt relief. Feeling relief allows you to completely open yourself. If you practice mindfulness of Dharma in everyday life, very naturally, you feel relief. You experience a peaceful life, free from human suffering and confusion. What, wherever you may be. Well, dwelling in mindfulness is focusing on the Dharma realm where there is no discrimination. A Buddha is never tossed away by like or dislike, famous or not famous, happiness or suffering, because he or she is always standing in the unified Dharma realm where there are no categories. That is the basic place where trust and distrust, man and woman, teacher and disciple, all races, all beings and all categories are loosened into space. What do they mean by dwelling here? Living. Concentrating would be another word. Uh, let's say you were dwelling in, in hate or, you know, you, then you'd only feel anger or meanness. So dwelling in mindfulness, that's kind of, you know, <coughs> oh, one, what, what's it called? A one something mind. It's a single oh, focus. Yeah, it's a single focus. So it's not just something you do when you sit on the cushion, but you're living inside of this uh, 
being conscious, being awake. Think of um, a dwelling as a house, as a home. So making uh, mindfulness your home. Yeah, that's what I understand. That's what I know that the, the, the meaning as a house, that's why I was confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't help, does it? No. <laughs> so it's like, uh, it seems like the prior paragraph who's talking about relief, um, fearlessness is feeling relief. Um, and making mindfulness a home, a place of respite is, uh, I think that's what he's trying to encourage. You're not tossed around when you do that. That's what he's saying. A Buddha is never tossed away. Oh, by like or dislike. I could use the word tossed around. You know, where every five minutes where our mood changes. <coughs> you know, it's like stepping back. Okay. Um, here we go. So we'll take 10 minutes to write or not write. Okay. Who's going to read or speak or am I? Yeah. Where do I dwell? In anger, in forgiveness, in peace, in privilege, in emptiness, in myself, in stories, in my house, in love, in confusion, in Austin. How can I be dwelling in so many places? Where do I not dwell? In all the places where I've not been and not heard about. And in those places I've rejected. I wish to dwell in those places as well. They keep alive even as I reject them. Could I just dwell in mindfulness in no place else? What would that look like? How would it feel? Who would be there to meet me? Me? So what I discovered was there's kind of a singularity to dwelling in mindfulness compared with all the other stuff. You know, I felt very uh, separated, many pieces, like taken apart. Like I dwell in this, I dwell in this. So there, and I didn't get that when I I read it, that how uh, simple that was. In fact, what is it that, do I have it still written down that Flint used to say, how simple will you let it be? Something, where is that? (laughs) I don't know where it is, but Flint would say that. How simple can you let it be? But anyway, there's a simplicity to that. Isn't there dwelling in mindfulness? Yeah. 
but also you were saying a unity. Unity. Yeah. All those things are united that you dwell in under the umbrella of mindfulness. Are, did I say that or are you saying that? I don't know. That's my, that, that was my question. Is that what you were? Well, I could say that, but it would, it would not be really honest because in more honesty, I think it would be that uh, I feel many pieces that maybe aren't put together as I'd like them to be. Mm -hmm. you know, that aren't one. I like the idea of Category's teacher and how he felt when he went back to the teacher. And, and uh, at four o'clock, I had a meeting with Peg and I felt that way, you know, whenever I talked to her. Uh, you know, like the world's a rough place and kind of coming back to that, yeah. which is nice about a friend. What do you think, Emily? Where are you? What did you write or think or... Um. I have been very lucky to have gone to two um, classical music concerts in the past Sundays, past two Sundays. And I noticed that at the end of both of the concerts, it was super hard to not let go of the feeling of happiness and, and love of that um, situation and experience. I wanted to hold on to it for as long as I possibly could because it was just so, I just wanted to dwell in that. Um, so the, the piece of writing that we read tonight that talks about do not, do not linger um, really spoke to me. Well, why do you think it's negative? I'm getting that implicate that idea to linger. Oh, um, well, because I, I did linger too long and it um, did kind of turn into sadness that it was um, not lasting, you know, which is an unreasonable expectation. Of course, nothing lasts, right? So um, it was creating a, an, a, a source of suffering in me to not be able to, to let that go. Um, There's a beautiful line, I'm going to type it, from William Blake. He... he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity sunrise. You know, which is about not holding on to things. Yeah. Can you read it again, please? Yeah, I put it in chat. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. 
I can't remember the second line. I'll, I'll, I'll get it. It's, it's, Oh, this is good. This is the whole thing. And this is exactly what we're uh, doing, reading. He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. So that would be staying at the concert, even he who kisses the joy as it flies live, lives in an eternity sunrise. So the lingering is, is binding, isn't it? Mm -hmm, yeah. So the eternity sunrise, it's like a positive? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's very Zen because it's like um, you're doing this sort of fleeting action and it um, is claiming that it lasts forever. Which is, um, <laughs> it seems to be the case in a lot of Zen writing, very contradictory at times. Well, Daniel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the simple story that he's giving about this, um, his struggle when he was young um, and that he was finding uh, peace in the temple with his teacher. Um, and that also reminds me um, that it is easy to, to med I mean, easy, it's relatively easier to, to meditate and to be calm like when your life is intact. If you mm -hmm. do not struggle with money, you don't have like health issues. Um, and then if your life is mess, not necessary because of your wrongdoing, um, it's not that easy to, to, to be calm and practice Zen. And so it's, so I don't know. I mean, it's, so I'm always like struggling thinking that the, like people who probably the most need to calm down and uh, have a peaceful mind are those who are not in the situation that is preferable for this kind of practices. And those who are rich uh, without too many big problems, uh, when the life is organized, then they can finally sit and start meditating. Uh, so I don't know, I'm just sometimes thinking that maybe the, the Zen is like more to, when you want to 
discover a deeper meaning of life, but it's, it's difficult to use it when your life is a mess and, and use it to, to calm down and uh, get your life organized. I don't know. Is that your experience? Um, I mean, I tried doing meditation back when I was living in New York and studying, working. At, it never worked. Mm. I was always giving up and all those noises around, stress, I just couldn't. Yeah. After I finished school, I got a job. I was able to move to a quiet place. It's just, you cannot compare how difficult back then it was and how easy for me it is right now to actually sit and do something like meditation. I have to think about that. But that's certainly your experience. Yes, it's... it's... You know, something I was talking about with Peg is where I was making assumptions. Well, I was talking about a continuum between laziness and being too busy. And she was just saying, you know, like all the different varieties of that for different people that she didn't exactly agree with me, you know, that there was that, that continuum for, <laughs> there's just so many people are so different. So your experience, I like your question, Emily, because Dan, Daniel's experience was his, but may not be for someone else. Someone else might find just the opposite. When you found it more difficult to like practice in New York, um, would you keep trying sometimes or did you kind of just arrive at a point where you were like, that's it? Yeah, I decided that I have to solve problems which make me nervous. Then I will be able to mm -hmm. stop thinking about them. It just yeah, it just you cannot see it because it, it, you have to have to just go do something, work, do, yeah, just like yeah. See, it's uh, possible now that you've had more experience that if your life got messed up again, then you could deal with it. You know, maybe I don't know, yeah. Malin. Um, a few weeks ago, I um, went back to the beginning of the book because I was lost in the <laughs> chapters. So, um, so it starts with um, burning the your life light or something. Well, this is what I wrote um, during the last during the past days, weeks months, years, I have been trying to find myself, yes, myself. How can I be oneness, in oneness, a Buddha, if I don't find myself? What do I do with this body, with this mind, with all that is inside and its interconnections? According to Karagiri, I have to remember 
the place where I already am to be free, to burn the flame of my life first, whatever I do. So that's a paragraph of the, this last chapter. So he finally speaks again about burn the flame, flame of your life. Mm -hmm. He says it's just to remember the place where you are. I think like in the big scale. So that's beautiful. Why. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So should we um, end for the evening? Maybe. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Okay. Bye.